0: Welcome to Word on the Street, a weekly podcast from Barclays UK, where our experts help ordinary investors make sense of the latest news and events impacting the world's financial markets. This week, we discuss the turbulent summer and the likelihood of President Trump's re election, as well as the attractiveness of the UK to overseas investors following Sterling's slump, with Mike Haslam, Head of Funds Distribution, and Will Hobbs, Chief Investment Officer.
1: Welcome to Word on the Street. My name is Mike Haslam, and this is my opportunity to have a look at the news that have been making the headlines over the last week or so, and to try and they beyond be on the headlines to understand exactly what's been going on. And to help me do that, I'm joined by Will Hobbs, our Chief Investment Officer. Will, thank you for joining us today. Pleasure, Mike. So, Will, can you believe it? It's the end of August already. Uh, we are at the end of the summer. Children are getting ready to go back to school. Have you had a good summer?
0: it was all right, thanks. What about yours?
1: Very nice, thank you. Thanks for asking. Mm -hmm. I had a couple of weeks away in in, um, Yorkshire, Mm -hmm. um, and my son received his GCSE results this week as well. Mm So, nice, Nice. how did he do? Very well, much better than me, (laughs) although that is quite (laughs) quite a low bar that I set many years ago. Um, So when I look at the headlines, so if I think, um, let's imagine I'd been away for a month, uh, I'd come back and I thought, right, what's been going on? Pick up the papers, let's make a list. And I've made a list of the things that would worry me as an investor. So let me let me uh, run through some of these for you. What have we got here? Trade war, Brexit, new UK Prime Minister, Hong Kong demonstrations, Brexit, Argentina, um, uh, Prime Minister of Italy resigns, UK potentially slipping into recession, Brexit, Trump trying to buy Greenland, Trump trying to force the Fed to lower rates, um, missile launches from um, North Korea, Corbyn offering to be caretaker prime minister, hard Brexit, soft Brexit, any kind of Brexit, potential general election, yield curve inversion. It you know it is it is an endless list. It goes on and on.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I mean I think that nicely describes I think what the world's investors have been doing a little bit. They've been making a list. Um, of uh, uh, of things that have gone wrong are going wrong or surely about to go wrong, uh, and they're probably forgetting a little bit. Uh, they've sort of misplaced the list of things uh, that could easily, uh, just as easily, go right or are going right. Such so, as what do you mean? Well, uh, I guess I'd, I mean there's lots of stuff, but I mean uh, just a couple of points, and I think they are uh, quite important. But the first point is that really. Evidence. Um, So incoming data on the world economy um, paints a far less gloomy picture um, of the current state and, you know, outlook for the world uh, than you might get if you just looked at the performance of, you know, gold or other perceived uh, safe haven assets uh, for that direction and health of the world economy. Um, you know, sure, there are parts um, of the uh, the world economy, you know, those particularly that are very sensitive to the temperature of global trade, um, they are suffering a bit more visibly. So, you know, the UK, for instance, a very open economy, very sensitive to global trade. So we're feeling a little, bit, uh, a little bit worse off. Um, for other reasons as well, um, but also you know German manufacturers, bits of Asia. You know, however, the, the the important context point is that consumers, you know, the world's most important consumers, and I'm really thinking particularly of the U.S. consumer here, um, still look in good shape and spirits. Um, And I think the other point here is that those arguing that the weakness you're seeing in manufacturing and those trade-sensitive parts of the economy is going to leak into consumption and employment, well, A, we're not really seeing it sort of materially just yet. But also remember that actually those sectors of the economy, those trade-sensitive sectors of the economy, tend to be lower employers uh, than the services sector. Um, So, you know, in the U.S., manufacturing, trade and transportation accounts for about 30 percent of total employment and it's still so far holding up um, reasonably well. So in our opinion, it's going to take a worse slump uh, in sentiment and global trade uh, to really start leaking into um, that consumer story. The second point, um, and I'm sorry, this is a, a long ramble, but I, but there are you know these two important points are important, I think. And that is really that the best cure for low interest rates may indeed be low interest rates. Uh, explain what I mean by that. If you look at it, borrowing costs at all maturities are now uh, in, in in what we would call pretty stimulative territory uh, in many of the most important parts of the world. So essentially, um, and this is a major oversimplification about interest rates, so bear with me, but if you consider the level of interest rates as part of an accelerator break function for the world economy, that accelerator is being dipped quite firmly right now
1: coming back to the list, um, this week, Italy, headline on Italy with the uh, big news.
0: Should we be worried? These things are always concerning, aren't they? But uh, remember context. And I think context is important with regards to the Italian political cycle. Um An Italian political crisis is not a new thing. We have one um, every year, literally. Um, There have been just over 60 Italian governments since the uh, new constitution was enacted in 1948. Um, That plays the UK's kind of 12, for example. Um, And a little sub point here, which I think is interesting in reference to the current situation, um, is that there have been 60 ish governments in Italy over that period but only 18 national elections so legislatures tend uh, to last their full uh, full five-year terms now some argue that this is because uh, you know that um, uh, members of parliament could not benefit from office related pensions and all the wider perks of uh, uh, of office if the legislature were to be quickly dissolved Um, who knows Uh, whatever we want to sort of be tune this out a little bit it's not necessarily that newer news.
1: Now, when I look at the performance of various markets and I think about a um, a terrified investor, so a terrified investor, very worried, will be looking at investing in potentials you know, or uh, perceived safe haven assets such as gold. And we've seen this year that the price of gold has, has um, rallied. It's up to about a five or six year high now. Uh, but on the flip side, you think, you know, terrified investor coming out of equities, maybe. But actually, the equity markets haven't done so bad. They, you know, they're all up, uh, a little bit wobbly, but, you know, nothing catastrophic.
0: Yeah, I mean, I uh, had two points. Uh, so one, um, you know, markets aren't traded by a kind of hive mind. That means that all prices are exactly and um, equally kind of matching in terms of how they're traded. Um, there are kind of different cohorts of investors who operate um sometimes exclusively in different parts of the capital market. So there can be disconnects in this situation, though. And I think the second point is that, you know, there can be a situation where low interest rates can actually um, be consistent with higher equity markets. So although if you're assuming low interest rates do tell you um, that markets are a little bit more worried about the outlook for growth. So therefore you can say, OK, well, corporate profits growth in that scenario will be a bit lower. So that makes my equities worth a bit less. Um, on the flip side, the present value of those future cash flows um, you know a a dollar or euro or a pound of next year's earnings is actually worth a little bit more to me because interest rates are so low and so there's a sort of there's a valuation point and a growth point and they can be offsetting and they can mean that it's not totally inconsistent that stock markets do okay um, if interest rates um, you know collapse.
1: Okay, so conscious that it's not just you and I sat in a room here, Uh, this is recorded and this goes out to quite a number of um, listeners. Um, Are you happy to go on record and forecast whether whether the US will uh, fall into a session or not?
0: Um, Well, I mean, you don't want to make sort of hard and fast um, sort of predictions on this front, I think that sounds very wishy-washy, but we've always got to remember when we're talking about the future, the greater the confidence with which someone predicts that future, the less you should trust them. And really, we deal in probabilities here. Um, And I think the main point that we would make is that in our estimations, given the incoming information that we see, the probability of a recession is lower, uh, uh, quite materially lower than many in the market are currently um, assuming. And if you look at the two, there's lots of causes of past recessions. But there's two ones that really stick out in recent times. One is overheating in the real economy. Um, That tends to manifest in sort of lots of inflation and therefore central bankers have to overreact. Which we Um, don't seem to have uh, at the moment. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't seem to be much inflation about it. Central bankers are worrying about exactly the opposite point. The other thing to think about is overheating in financial markets, you know, so the cause of the last recession. And again, there's, these things can be difficult to spot, but there are a couple of telltale signs, and those telltale signs aren't necessarily flashing amber at the moment, so something called the private sector balance, I won't go into here, but that's not necessarily, it warned us that the last two recessions and isn't warning this time around. Uh, and, you know, people are saying that parts of the capital markets are expensive. Yes, the bond market is very expensive, But not in bubble territory. We still expect most of that debt to be honoured. So, yeah, we just say that those probabilities are a bit lower. And the world economy is being treated a little bit as guilty until proven innocent. And actually, the world economy deserves to be treated the other way around, innocent until proven guilty. Because growth is the norm, not the exception. Recessions are the rarity, not growth.
1: So you heard it here first. The probability of recession in the US is uh, probably less than the market is uh, pricing in or telling us. Okay, let's change the subject. Brexit. We can't talk here uh, without mentioning Brexit. Things are moving fast. Deadline is uh, looming fast. Um, Prime Minister Johnson, uh, G7 summit this week. How's that been going?
0: It seems the mood music seems to be OK, doesn't it? It seems to be sort of um, everyone seems to be playing uh, reasonably nicely. Uh, I mean, uh, the prime minister has an interesting balancing act to kind of achieve over the next couple of days. You know, on the one hand, he, he clearly needs and wants, uh, you know, a trade deal. They've, they've spoken a lot about a trade deal with the U.S. So, he needs to, uh, you know, cozy up to President Trump, so to speak. Um, and on the other hand, he also needs the Europeans to be on side. Uh, and the Europeans will be watching, um, you know, the prime minister very carefully to see to what extent... Um, you know, he is no longer going to toe the European party line with regards to uh, the US. How much is the UK going to drift across the Atlantic, so to speak? So yeah, it might be an interesting weekend from that perspective. So
1: LinkedIn uh, with Brexit um, is and something that seems to have worried investors is the drop in the value of the pound which is uh, generally perceived as bad news. Um, it certainly was bad news for everybody listening here that have holidayed abroad this summer, uh, having got less US dollars for the pound or less euros for the pound. Uh, There's a really interesting piece of news that I read this week, and it was a Hong Kong property company has come in and bought Um, Green King. Now Green King for those that don't know, Green King is a UK company listed on the London Stock Exchange. It brews beer and manages in the region of about 3,000 pubs, hotels and restaurants in the UK. So if the British pound is 10% cheaper now than it was this time last year, then valuable assets like the pubs that Green King owns will be 10% cheaper. So, do you think this is why the Hong Kong investor has swooped, and maybe you know, what does it what does it mean for um, uh, potential other investors coming into the UK in what is is perceived as quite a cheap market?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I, there is a slightly complicated re- relationship between you know price and value, obviously in these situations. You know, so yes, the price of these assets has come down, but there are some offsetting factors with regards to the UK. So, the reason why sterling, one of the reasons why sterling has Fallen is because many investors are assuming a greater likelihood of, uh, or they're more concerned about the nature of uh, the UK's exit from the EU than they were, perhaps. And the other thing that that sort of sp- that is recently kind of being talked about a little bit more is that the chances of a breakup of the union have also gone up a little bit. Maybe still negligible, but they've gone up a bit. So in that context, investments in this economy, certain investments have become. Less attractive, probably in line with the price declines. But there are those investments out there, you know, particularly those, I guess, which are more kind of bricks and mortary, uh, bricks and mortar type deals, especially those backed by quite strong free cash flow. And Green King probably falls into that category a little bit. That that maybe have seen their attraction, well, clearly have seen their attraction uh, increase a little bit to certain investors.
1: Right. One final point. Um, I noticed uh, you published an article this week. I follow you and your team on LinkedIn. Um, I've read the article. It's really interesting, and it talks about. uh, the idea of a a super cycle within the US political system about um, um, uh, presidents. Could you you talk us through this, please?
0: Yeah, I mean, this shows how tragic I am on holiday, I guess, but this was one of the... uh, There was a paper I was reading on holiday, and it's really about... um, There's a Yale professor who argues, essentially, that President Trump sits at the end of a political regime, or potentially sits at the end of a political regime rather than at the beginning of one. Um, and that he's really not that unusual in the context of past um, uh, kind of, you know, uh, past kind of political super cycles in the, in, in the U.S. Um, and, and first of all, why is that why, why are there political super cycles in the U.S.? Why doesn't it just go from election to election? Well, one of the theories here is that if you get a you've got a fragmented constitutional uh, makeup in the U.S. And what that means is that power is split. Um, between the executive branch, the White House, the judiciary, um, and the legislature, which is Congress. And restraint is achieved in aggregate, essentially, by setting these institutions against each other, in a way. Um, Now, the result is that it takes time to kind of load these institutions with like-minded people willing to carry out your every kind of wish wish and whim. Now, mostly, presidents fail um, they all try to secure their legacy, but it's quite difficult, this process. And so, what this professor finds um, is that, or he sees, is that you get kind of ideological super cycles where a new orthodoxy comes along, say Reaganism, uh, to replace a now tired one, um, generally kind of um, spawned by the other side of the aisle. Now, Every ensuing president, bear with me, kind of fits into a couple of categories. There are those um, from the same party who kind of mod- modify that orthodoxy. So you could think of Bush 43. Um, you know, he did the tax cuts and free trade, which are very consistent with, you know, Reaganism, but he kind of updated it with this kind of compassionate conservatism idea. Um, or they come from the other side of the aisle and provide increasingly kind of robust challenges to this kind of increasingly tired orthodoxy. So you can think of Clinton and Obama's challenges. Um, But they didn't quite make it through because they hadn't necessarily changed the entire makeup of the institutional setup. Finally, you get the president who is unfortunate enough to be in the seat for the ideology's final kind of exhausted collapse uh, and replacement. That goes the theory anyway.
1: So the theory goes that Trump may not necessarily be the chosen one. He could be the end of the cycle, and it could be what uh, maybe maybe somebody from the Democrats or somebody coming in. This that could be the next the next cycle.
0: Well, so the pattern goes. I mean, so the theory goes, and there's a disclaimer to make. I mean, all of these patterns are always visible in in hindsight rather than at the time, and they're true until they're not. You know, and actually we'll get a relatively uh, nearby test of this kind of this theory, there'll be a significant wrinkle if President Trump gets elected, because generally what you found is that the presidents who've come um, at the end um, of these kind of super cycles, uh, so the Quincy Ad, John Quincy Adams, Hoovers, those kind of people, uh, there, uh, they've Jimmy Carter is another. They've tended only to last one term, and then what you find is this kind of this. kind of political rupture, I guess, where you get a new ideology, generally from the other side of the aisle, coming along. Um, And, you know, so I guess if that was, the pattern was to be proved true, you'd expect a kind of an Elizabeth Warren or a a Bernie Sanders, because they represent a significant sort of, you know, move away. And that would also, I guess, you know, eventually those kind of much further left uh, policies actually probably will reflect the makeup of the population given that kind of much more liberal stance of the millennial generation over time
1: certainly food for thought will Um, as you say it is just a theory but um, it does put a different light on president trump and and maybe how things will develop over the next maybe sort of five ten years
0: yeah i mean i think the main point about it is it's not it's not that this theory has to be true or anything but just remember it's just that we always kind of extrapolate uh, into the future and we tend to think that the future just looks like a continuation of the recent past. And we, we are sort of sometimes lazy in that thought. And I think this theory just, I think, goes to that sort of the heart of the idea that there is a less even-handed debate going on at the moment with regards to sort of people imagining the future, which is what capital markets are all about. Uh, and we're kind of treating the world economy and its political outlook, particularly the world economy, as guilty until proven innocent, rather than the other way around. I think that's the thing that we would sort of uh, we would continue to argue.
1: Great. Thank you very much for your time today, Will. As always, you seem to make everything sound so simple to a terrified investor such as myself. Uh, Thanks again for, um, uh, for your time.
0: All investments can fall as well as rise in value and their past performance is not a reliable indicator of future performance. This podcast is not a personal investment recommendation.